0: Tired of blogs? (laughs) Me too. Moby Lives Radio starts now. Intergalactic headquarters of Melville House Publishing in Hoboken, New Jersey, aka the Left Bank of New York City, it's Moby Lives Radio. Greetings, Earthlings. It's Wednesday, the seventh day of December, two thousand five. I'm Dennis Johnson. On today's show, I'll be talking to the former poet laureate of Queens, New York, Hal Sirowitz. He's invented a new poetic form, the Hal We'll also be observing Thomas Hardy as he writes The Return of the Native. But first, here's some news from the book world. The Independent newspaper in London is reporting that some of Britain's best-known authors, including J.K. Rowling, Philip Pullman, and Margaret Drabble, are all celebrating in the wake of the announcement that the government's Office of Fair Trading has declined to approve the purchase of the Ottakers bookstore chain by HMV, the parent company of Britain's biggest bookstore chain, Waterstones. Instead, the bid has been referred to the country's Competition Commission for an in-depth investigation, a move that the Times of London says will kill the deal. The proposal had generated intense opposition from independent booksellers around the country who feared a resultant monopoly within the currently thriving British book market, and the Office of Fair Trading also cited an unusually high level of consumer complaints. Waterstone's bid will apparently now lapse as a result of the referral, according to most reports, but an HMV representative said the firm would, quote, «pursue vigorously, close quote, its case before the commission». Meanwhile, Ataker's stock plummeted 14% after news of the Fair Trading Office's decision got out. Chinese author and journalist Liu Binyan has died from colon cancer at age 80. At one time, a reporter for China's official party newspaper, The People's Daily, Binyan died in New Jersey. He had become a dissident and been expelled from the party in 1988, and... After being allowed to leave China to teach a class in the U.S., he was never allowed to return home. This was apparently because, while he was here, he spoke out on American television against the 1989 crackdown on student demonstrators in Tiananmen Square. His book on the Tiananmen Square attacks, Tell the World, was the first book on the subject by anyone, let alone a Chinese writer. Joan Didion has announced that she's turning the year of magical thinking her best-selling memoir about the death of her husband John Gregory Dunn and the fatal illness of her daughter Quintana, into a Broadway play. Didion, who's never written a play but has written numerous movie scripts with Dunn, tells the New York Times she'll write the one-woman show herself and that it will be directed by noted British playwright David Hare. Didion says Hollywood producer Scott Rudin brought the idea to her and she found, quote, I had a really strong sense that I wanted to try a new form. An upstate New York woman who posed as both a literary agent and a publisher has pled guilty in a federal courthouse to charges of stealing $700,000 from wannabe authors. Prosecutors say Martha Ivory advertised in Writer's Digest as a literary agent named Kelly O'Donnell then told the clients she got through the ad that she'd sold their books to a publishing company she also secretly owned, Prestige Publishing. From there, writers would be asked for further fees, but the books would rarely appear. In 2002, Prestige declared bankruptcy, and I restarted yet another false front publishing house. She now faces the possibility of 35 years in prison for 15 counts of mail fraud, bankruptcy fraud, and other charges. Prosecutors were helped in the case by the scam-busting website writerbeware.com, which tracked Ivory. A.C. Crispin from the website told the Albany Times Union that, quote, this case, unlike the other ones we followed, really got personal. She made death threats to us and stalked us online. I plan to go to the sentencing. Well, the talk of the blogging world yesterday was a story in the independent newspaper by that paper's book section editor Louise Jury, observing that if you put something scatological in the title of your book, your chances for a bestseller will improve dramatically. Seemingly prompted by the stunning success of Professor Harry Frankfurt's On Bullshit, Jury notes the rise to bestsellerdom this week of the book Is It Just Me or Is Everything Shit? The Encyclopedia of Modern Life. Jury also notes the popularity of several series in the UK, including the Crap series, which so far includes the guidebooks Crap Towns, Crap Jobs, and Crap Cars. Jury's favorite is the series of spoofs being published by Michael O'Mara books, which started with a takeoff on last year's big Christmas hit, Eat Shoots and Leaves. Featured from O'Mara this year is Eats Shites and Leaves. Uh, This summer it published Scheidoku, followed by a shite history of nearly everything. A spokeswoman for Macmillan, publisher of the Crap series, says, I can't believe we would have been able to get away with this ten years ago, but a bit of swearing doesn't seem to be such a problem anymore. It just seemed to sum up something you couldn't achieve with any other term. Meanwhile, no one reports any complaints from booksellers, probably because the books are all selling extremely well. Although some inventory computer systems experienced problems fulfilling orders, when firewalls blocked the naughty language. And that's the news for Wednesday, the 7th day of December 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson.
1: It's December 7th, and on this day in literary history in 1928, the linguist and writer Noam Chomsky was born in Philadelphia. Since 1955, as professor of linguistics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Chomsky has developed a theory of transformational grammar that revolutionized the scientific study of language. Attracting worldwide attention with his groundbreaking research, Chomsky's scholarship has become the center of a debate that transcends formal linguistics to embrace psychology, philosophy, and even genetics. According to Transformational Grammar... Every intelligible sentence conforms not only to grammatical rules peculiar to its particular language, but also to, quote, deep structures, a universal grammar underlying all languages and corresponding to an innate capacity of the human brain. Chomsky's formulation of transformational grammar has been acclaimed as one of the major achievements of the century, and his work has been compared to the unraveling of the genetic code of the DNA molecule. Chomsky is a fantastically prolific author whose over 30 books on linguistics include Syntactic Structures, The Sound Pattern of English, and Knowledge of Language, to name a few. In addition, Chomsky has wide-ranging political interests. He is an impassioned critic of American foreign policy and was an early and outspoken critic of the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. He has written extensively on many political issues, and among his political books are American Power and the New Mandarins, Manufacturing Consent, and Rogue States. Chomsky's controversial bestseller, 9-11, published by Seven Stories Press, is an analysis of the World Trade Center attack that, while denouncing the atrocity of the event, traces its origins to the actions and power of the United States, which he calls a, quote, leading terrorist state. While sales of the controversial 9-11 book climbed rapidly to over 300,000 copies, the book never appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. Though Paul Robinson, writing in the New York Times book review, said of Chomsky, quote, judged in terms of the power, range, novelty, and influence of his thought, Noam Chomsky is arguably the most important intellectual alive today. I'm Valerie Marions, and that's this day in literary history.
2: I know my chickens, you got to know you are chicken.
3: It's time for Novel Writing, which today comes from the West Country, from Dorset. Hello and welcome to Dorchester, where a very good crowd has turned out to watch local boy Thomas Hardy write his new novel, The Return of the Native, on this very pleasant July morning. This will be his 11th novel and the 5th of the very popular Wessex novels. And here he comes! Here comes Hardy, walking out toward his desk. He looks confident, he looks relaxed, very much the man in form, as he acknowledges this very good-natured bank holiday crowd. And the crowd goes quiet now as Hardy settles himself down at the desk, body straight, shoulders relaxed, pen held lightly but firmly in the right hand. He dips the pen in the ink and he's off! It's the first word, but it's not a word! Oh, no, it's a doodle way up on the top of the left-hand margin. It's a piece of meaningless scribble And he signed his name underneath it. Oh, dear, what a disappointing start. But he's off again, and here he goes. The first word of Thomas Hardy's new novel at 10.35 on this very lovely morning. It's three letters, it's the definite article, and it's The Dennis. Well, this is true to form. No surprises there. He started five of his eleven novels to date with a definite article. We've had two of them with it. There's been one but, two ats, one on, and a Dolores. Though that, of course, was never published. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Dennis, but he's crossed it out. Thomas Hardy here on the first day of his new novel has crossed out the only word he's written so far, and he's gazing off into space. Oh, oh, dear, he's signed his name again. It looks like Tessa de D'Urberville's all over again. But he's... No, he's down again and writing, Dennis. He's written V again. He's crossed it out again, and he's written A. And there's a second word coming up straight away, and it's sat. A sat. Doesn't make sense. A sat. A saturday. It's a Saturday, and the crowd are loving it. They're really enjoying this novel. And it's afternoon. A Saturday afternoon is a confident beginning. And he's straight on to the next word. It's in. A Saturday afternoon in, 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 no. November. November's spelled wrong. He's left out of 17. But he's not going back. It looks as like though he's going for the sentence. And it's the first verb coming up. It's the first verb of the novel. And it was. And the crowd are going wild. A Saturday afternoon in November was. And a long word here. A pro. A pro. Is it approval? No, it's approaching. Approaching. A Saturday afternoon in November was approaching and he's done the definite article the again and he's writing fluently easily with flowing strokes of the pen as he comes up to the middle of this first sentence and with this 11th novel well underway and the prospects of a good day's writing ahead back to the studio
4: is on the line the former poet laureate of queens new york hal the last time i interviewed you was back at the turn of the century when moby lives was just a newspaper column and i was covering the fact that your first two books of poetry uh, mother said and my therapist said were enormous bestsellers in norway of all places um in fact if i recall correctly your first book mother said sold I think it was about 30,000 copies in Norway which would be the equivalent of I don't know about half a million books in the in the United States um and you were touring the country and playing rock and roll arenas yeah. there were fans outside your hotel it was it was like you were John Bon Jovi or something I
5: know it was shocking I'm I'm, I'm glad to be back
4: to to have survived <laughs>
5: yeah my theory about it was that um my poems about my mother yelling at me, and um, my poems weren't that popular in, in warmer climates, but was popular in cold climates because when your mother yells at you, you, you can't go outside because it's <laughs> freezing, you've got to stay around the house. so I think that's why my poems caught on. Well,
4: you're back now, safe and sound, in New York, and um, you're back in the poetry world news because you've invented a new poetic form. Um, Hal Sirowitz, what exactly is a
5: hal-ku? Um, it's a derivation diver- of a haiku. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my wife was the one who made the term, and I have trouble counting. You know, regular haiku, formal haiku, you have to count syllables. Mm-hmm. I was running out of fingers, and um, I just decided that I would um, not, not count and, and not talk about nature all the time that you started doing a haiku.
2: Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know
5: when the last time I saw a frog. A lot of haiku is about frogs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I, I just wrote about something I was familiar with, getting rejected in relationships.
4: Uh-huh.
5: So, but, but you're breaking a
4: lot of, uh, of, of rules of, of haiku in, in haiku.
5: Um, yeah, but I, I break rules when I sit down and eat my lunch, sometimes eat my dessert first. Uh-huh. So it's not natural to me.
4: <laughs> well, why did you feel compelled to be working, I mean, I, I, I take it you wanted to write haiku when it was just too much bother. Uh, wh- what compelled you to, to work in the shorter form like that? Well, what well
5: I feel you? like the, the form is a big limitation, prevents you from saying, what you really want to say, because yeah, you have to worry about fitting everything inside a form. Um, it's almost like trying to fit a week's luggage in a, in a tiny suitcase. <laughs> and and so I decided to, to to just rename it and and create my own form.
4: So you you weren't so worried about the the syllable count and. What's the other, thi- uh, other things about haiku?
5: I, I, uh, well, you're not, you're not supposed to have the I, the personal pronoun. Okay. But I, I, I need the personal pronoun, because um, otherwise I, um, I, 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 I want people to know that I exist, and so I, I like the I. And, and aren't haikus
4: um, uh, usually in the present tense?
5: Yeah. Or they um, seem to be? My relationships are mostly in the past, so, <laughs> so they're like my haiku, haiku's there.
4: Well, you are a married man, so I'm glad the uh, relationships are in the past. I'm just trying to think if there are other rules of haiku that I can, um, I can discern you're, you're deliberately breaking. So it's, it's personal pronouns, present tense, and the syllable count is, is basically it.
5: And, and, and nature. It's supposed to be about seasons.
4: And, and nature. Change of seasons. Uh-huh. And the frogs.
5: Yeah, frogs are croaking. No, no uh,
4: frogs at all in your in your Halkus. I
5: can't remember the last time I picked one up, actually. Okay. I mean, Basho was great with um, writing haikus like about frogs, but I, mean, I, I, I live in the city. I don't see any.
4: Okay. Well, I uh, can can you read a couple? Do you have a couple on hand there yeah. that you can read
5: to us? And do you title them? Does a haiku no, have a title? No, that's one, the one rule I follow. Is I never <laughs> make a title, which saves me a lot of time. Okay. Because okay. sometimes it, 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 it's longer to make the title than this, the haiku. I understand. So, so it's easy. Okay. Heavy rain. A good time to make out, but she stopped when it did.
4: Okay, that's one.
5: Odd is long... Life is short. Making out with uh, was even shorter. <laughs> they sound like they're close
4: to the right syllable count. Have, uh, you, have you got a couple more within reach? Sure. Let's hear a few more if On you don't Monday, mind. On Monday,
5: two bugs. By Friday, ten more. Bad family planning. <laughs> I gave her my heart. She gave me lunch. Thinking back, I got the better bargain. Ooh,
4: now that, that reminds me of I'm I'm hearing thematic consistencies with some of your other poems, Hal.
5: Oh yeah, I mean this connection. I mean the the are much shorter, mm-hmm. but, um, but but um, I think it fits my personality. I just say what I want to say, and mm-hmm. and friends who are much more articulate, like you, like you write longer stuff. But um, but I need to keep it short. Well, I, I think I, I
4: certainly couldn't write a Dennis coup that, that that comes anywhere close to your work. Have they heard about this in Norway yet?
5: Not yet. My my, my translator Alan Liu um, is, is busy making movies. Mm-hmm. He 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 went to school in Copenhagen, majoring in film writing, and so that's what he's doing. So he doesn't have time to to translate me yet, so... Jeez,
4: these would not take him very long to translate.
5: Uh. I know. I know he's, he's in <laughs> Thailand. He's in the sets where the movies are being made. I see.
4: I see. Well, maybe you can read... Uh, do, you, do you have a favorite out of the Halkus that we can, we can close the interview with?
5: Yeah. Um, I'll do this one. We had a different definition of what a boyfriend was. Husks were too long for the dictionary. oh Hal one more she kept the mother's photos separate from her father's respecting the divorce (laughs) Hal Sirowitz the
4: former poet laureate of Queens New York thank you for coming on Mobile's Radio
5: oh you're really welcome it's a pleasure to talk with you
0: And that's our show for Wednesday, the 7th of December, 2005. Thanks to Hal Sirowitz for coming on the show. And thanks to to the members of Monty Python for preserving their genius all these many years ago. Thanks to the crew here at Melville House, Andrew Steinmetz, Kelly Burdick, Becky Kramer, and publisher Valerie Marions. Come back tomorrow. We're going to be getting our Canada report from George Murray. And we'll also be talking to Listen to Carter. She's the director of the French Publishers Agency, fighting the fight to get French literature translated into English. That's our show for today. Don't forget that whale is out there, man. Yeah.